Good morning, Grace Baptist family. It is a privilege to be here this morning with you, to have the opportunity to open God's Word and to uh, speak to you this morning. And I just want to thank uh, Pastor Dan, obviously, and Pastor Chad for giving me the opportunity to come and uh, and speak this morning. So uh, we're looking forward, I'm looking forward to this opportunity, and uh, we're going to step out of our study of uh, Exodus. You guys are in Exodus right now? Nod your heads like this. Make me feel good, okay? I don't know whether you're in Exodus or not, but I'm making that up, all right? So we should be good to go on that, but we're going to step into uh, something else this morning. Think of me, if you will, for just a moment. Have you ever noticed uh, that just the mention of a name can bring comfort into your life. It might be a mom or dad or a child or a close friend. You speak that individual's name and a deep sense of joy just resonates in your heart. There's a couple of people like that in my own life. One is the guy that discipled me. His name was Tom Hammond. And he's since gone to be with the Lord, but he's the one that, that, uh, uh, as I came to know the Lord as my Savior, and he's the one that came alongside and discipled me. Just a, just a dear friend in the Lord. And, uh, whenever, you know, if I get together with some of my old friends from, from CBF, uh, Campus Bible Fellowship at the University of Northern Iowa, and we get to talking and we mention Tom's name, it just, it does something to me. Another one is uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, John Murray. Uh, John uh, was my own age. We went to uh, faith together, and uh, he was working on his doctorate uh, when God suddenly called him home. Good friend. Loved talking to him, loved having the opportunity to visit with him and all of those kind of things. And I can't tell you how many times I have picked up my phone and thought, oh, I'll call John about this. I can't do that anymore. But it, it just it just does something to you. you. I hope you understand what I'm, what I'm talking about here. It, it just resonates. Have you, have you ever considered why that happens? It's because that name belongs then to someone you love, someone you can count on, someone who will be there when you are in need. Someone with whom you have a lasting and enduring relationship. There are so many names by which we can learn about our Savior. There are so many of these names. And and, and to think of him and to remember him uh, in these names, they have a powerful way of bringing comfort, direction, and hope to our lives. This morning, we're going to unwrap one of those titles. And as as we do that, uh, we want to become more intimately acquainted with the meaning and truth behind this title and so that we will learn to trust someone who will be there when we call on him, someone who will be there when we need him, no matter what. And the title this morning is that of Jesus, our advocate. 
And you think, man, the, our advocate, that doesn't sound like a really, you know, gung-ho enduring title. But it is. And we're going to walk through that this morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, whether you've got a paper Bible or electronic Bible, whichever one you choose to use, go ahead and open that. And I'm going to read our scripture passage for this morning. And then we're going to begin to uh, develop this as well. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Our big idea this morning is simply this. Because Jesus is our advocate, it ought to drive us to our knees in worship of him. Maybe you've not given a whole lot of thought to this idea of Jesus being an advocate. But I think as we walk through the scripture this morning, as we develop this thought that, that, that God will use this to help us to see more clearly who Jesus is. And because of that, it will, again, drive us to our knees in worship of him. Now, as I consider the, the, this idea of, of advocate today, the, the title advocate, I want us to think through three main points. And, and I'm going to lay these out for you. We're going to develop them, we're going to come back at the end, and we're going to walk through them again. Okay, so I'm going to give you the three main points right right out the gate, so there's no surprises coming. You're going to know where I'm headed throughout the message. Now, number one is going to be the meaning and the importance of an advocate. The meaning and importance of an advocate. Secondly, we're going to talk about the theology of our advocate. And then finally, we're going to talk about the practicality of our advocate. Okay? And if you're taking notes, uh, now good luck trying to keep up with that. All right? There you go. So then, let's begin this morning with with simply asking uh, the question or, or the statement here, is the meaning and importance of an advocate. Now, in a non-biblical setting for this word. If you just go to a dictionary or an encyclopedia and you look up the word advocate, in Webster's Dictionary, it, it says this, one that pleads the case of another. And in the ancient Greek, it, it simply meant one who counseled, coached, or championed the cause of another. Now, I think about people in my life that have had an impact in my life, and those people are what we see here. You know, you think about the guy that discipled me. He was obviously a counselor, he was a coach, and he was one of my biggest cheerleaders. 
He championed me. Okay? And so we think about people in our lives that, that have that role. It doesn't have to be all three of those. It can be any one of them. But they have that, that role in their lives. Barclay, the Bible commentator, in his book, More New Testament Words, writes this. And I, I, I don't normally quote a lot of things, but I really thought this was, this was good. He says this. He says, the advocate was a friend of the accused called in to speak in support of his character in order that he might enlist the sympathy of the judges in his favor. It means someone who will present someone else's case to another person or to some authority in the most favorable light. I like that ending. That you're going to present a case for a friend to somebody in authority, but you're going to do it in the most favorable light. Amen? You like that? Because that's, that's where we're at. We certainly don't want to go to stand before a judge and have the judge go, this guy? What a knucklehead. No, 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 no. You, you want whoever is going to be your advocate to speak kindly. And that's super important. Now, that's kind of the non-biblical view. So, in the scriptures, an advocate, <coughs> excuse me, in the Greek, and, and usually I, I try to be really careful when I preach, and, and anytime I say in the Greek, you know, a lot of people just glaze over like a Krispy Kreme donut. You know, they just like, they're gone, we lost them. But, but, so I don't do that a whole lot, but I'm gonna, I, it's important here. The, in the Greek, it's a, it's a compound word for advocate. Okay? It's, the beginning of it is para, and, and it means to call alongside of. Alright? And then the, the rest of it is, is kalitas, and it means to call. So the idea is paraclete, and if you've heard that word before, you know where it comes from. It talks a lot about the Holy Spirit's ministry. He's a paraclete. Why? Because he is one that is called alongside. So the advocate is one who is called alongside. A paraclete. It, it conveys that idea here of one called alongside to assist, to defend, or to intercede on the part of another. I find this fascinating. The only writer in all of the scripture to use this term is John, the Apostle John. And to me, being uh, just a bit of a, a Bible nut and, 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 you know, armchair theologian, I love that. Why is it John is the only one to use this phrase? Why is it that, that you, you come across words in Scripture and, and maybe one or two writers will ever mention that? So you think there's maybe some significance in John's writings here? I think so. In the Gospel, the word paraclete is repeated. It, it, 
repeatedly mentioned in the upper room discourse. Now, the upper room discourse is John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. Are you guys somewhat familiar with that? That's when Jesus goes up to the upper room. They're going to do the... Um, uh, Passover and Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, John 14, 6, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me is in that passage. John 15 deals with, I am the vine and you are the branches. You remember that? And then verse, it, you get into 16 and 16 talks a lot about Jesus saying, I'm leaving, but there is one, what? Coming. And that one that is coming is the Holy Spirit. He is the paraclete called alongside. Okay? And just so I don't leave you hanging in verse, in chapter 16, chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer of uh, Jesus as he is praying for a lot of things, but especially if you haven't studied that out, you need to get in there. John 17, Jesus prays that day for you. I don't have time to develop that, but he prays in John 17 specifically for you. And, uh, and you'll need to, you'll need to figure that out. And if you can't, ask Pastor Dan. He knows everything. All right. In John's epistle. Okay. So you have the gospel and then you have the epistles for second and third John. Uh, it's the only passage in the entire Bible where we find the word advocate. Advocate. 30 years have passed since John thought about the upper room, that he was in that upper room. During that time, John uh, had thought about the miracles Jesus performed. He thought about the messages that Jesus had said, and he had time to reflect to put his thoughts together. Have you ever, you ever been in a situation where you've gotten a lot of information and, and you just, you know, you're just like, whoa, whoa, time out. I just need a break so I can process some of what I just heard. I've been to a lot of conferences and things and, and usually most conferences, it's like trying to get a sip of water out of a six inch fire hose. It, it's, it's not easy. And so you want to step back and kind of think and contemplate through things. And so this is what John's had an opportunity to do. And under the divine inspiration, in, a le- in this letter of 1 John, he states this, We have an advocate with the Father. Okay? So that's the, if you think about it, that's the whole idea of this meaning and importance of an advocate. And so now we want to think through a little bit of the theology of our advocate. So we're not talking about generalities anymore. We're now going to start focusing in on Jesus, who is our advocate. Keep in mind that the first century people were not literate. They couldn't read. They couldn't read the epistles. They couldn't read the gospels. They couldn't read the word. Most of them couldn't read. 
So the epistles and the letters were to be read out loud. Those who could read, read them out loud. And they were written in a way that the sentence structure went well with the choice of words that would be very significant to the listener or the reader. Our advocate does not plead that we are innocent. Our advocate does not offer extenuating circumstances that that is to basically make excuses for us. What he does is he acknowledges our guilt and then our advocate presents his vicarious work. Vicarious just means done on our behalf. Something you do for somebody else. So Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary for us, okay, as the grounds for our acquittal. So let me, let me back up a little bit. He doesn't say, he doesn't just blanketly say that we're innocent or that, you know, there were some extenuating circumstances to why We are sinners. But what he does do is acknowledge the fact that we're guilty sinners. And he acknowledges the fact that his sacrifice covers all. And in this case, that is the grounds for our It's as if Jesus stands in the courtroom of heaven, a lamb that has been slain. You see that in Revelation 5. And the, the marks of his passion, which he bears in his body, are a mute but eloquent appeal that I suffered for all sinners. And shall that go for nothing? No. At our church, we say it this way. And by the way, Lynn and I attend Soteria in, in Des Moines. And it's, it's this. God is holy. I am sinful. And Jesus saves. God is holy. I am sinful. Praise God, Jesus saves. Now there's a little bit more to that. And, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that to you in a minute. But, but I want to kind of develop this a little bit more. Here's a good way of thinking about the office of an advocate. The Holy Spirit is God's advocate on earth. Okay? When in John 16, Jesus said, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. But one is coming, the paraclete, the one that's called alongside and he's going to come and, and he's going to lead you into all righteousness. So theologically, the Holy Spirit is God's advocate on earth with men, encouraging men to act and behave correctly. The Holy Spirit is, is given to us so that we might begin and continue to become more and more like Jesus. Amen? That's our goal. We want to be just like Jesus. Okay? How we do it? 
Anybody want to raise their hand and say, I'm there. I'm good. I'm just like Jesus. No. We, we recognize that. We are never going to reach perfection. Does that mean then that we don't need to worry about it? That it's no big deal? No, what it means is that, that God desires for us to follow hard after Jesus, to become more like Jesus. We're never going to make it. We're never, never going to finish it. But that's where we're headed. That's what we're after. Okay? So, the Holy Spirit is God's advocate on earth, encouraging men to act and behave correctly, while at the same time Christ is in heaven as our advocate with the Father, refuting all the accusations of the evil one. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, but suffice to say this. Satan, and I don't know how all this works, okay? Because the guys that are smarter than me ain't got this figured out, so I guarantee I don't know all the answers. However, Satan has the, the, the ability to come before God and look down and say, Whoo, that's Steve Cox, and that guy's a rascal. And Jesus, as my advocate, says, it's under the blood. It's under the blood. And God, when he looks down at me, he sees me clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Okay. So, why do we even have an advocate? We talk about the theology of our advocate. Now I want to get into the practicality of our advocate. Open your Bibles to John, 1 John chapter 1. Okay, we're going to get there in a second. My goal here this morning now is to build the case for why we need an advocate. So if you're taking notes, this is the part I want you to focus on. Why do we need an advocate? What is the practical side? We know what an advocate is. We talked about that. We, we kind of can get our head around the, the theology of an advocate. But now it's, it's practical. Okay? This is what we call boots on the ground. This is where the rubber hits the road. Any more cliches we can throw out here? But we understand this is, this is the good stuff. This is, this is what matters in our lives. And so our statements, the next three statements I'm going to make, are going to begin with, we need an advocate because. And, and I, 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 this is not exhaustive. Okay? But we're, we're, we're going to walk through at least three of these things. So. The first one's kind of long, so I hope you're ready. We need an advocate because we continue to sin and continually need forgiveness of our sin and fellowship with our Heavenly Father. See, how how was I supposed to write all that down? Let me try again. We need an advocate because we continue to sin and continuously need forgiveness of our sin 
and fellowship with the Father. One of the things that, that we learn in Bible study very early on is the three main words in, in good Bible study are, do you know these? Context, context, context. Always look and see what the context is of the passage that you're working with. So let me back up a little bit to 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Notice what the scripture says. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. <coughs> Excuse me. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the context leading into 1 John chapter 2. And it, it's simply describing the believer's struggle with sin. This whole idea of walking in the light, that is literally having an open attitude toward the exposure of our sin. Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to point out the sin in our lives? Or do we just kind of like it? And we're okay with it. That's the question. Remember, 2 John, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, he's writing to people in order that they may not sin. But if they do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now I want you to notice something here. At the beginning of chapter 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. What are the first two words? Little children. It is a term of endearment. John loves these people. He's not coming at them with a stick. He's coming at them in love. And he's, he's pleading with them. Don't sin, but if you do, know that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We need to remember John's recorded words of, of Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse 12. It says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I want you to notice something else here in 1 John. Look at the downward spiral. Okay? First, 
we lie. 1 John 1.6, we say, if we say, we have fellowship with him and do, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So that it, it starts out in, in, in the fact that we, we lie to ourselves. We, we lie to ourselves. We, we're saying, well, I'm good. I walk in the light. Really, you're walking in the dark. Secondly, he takes it one step down and he says this, we deceive ourselves. First John 1 8. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we, okay, nope, that's, I read the wrong verse. It says we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Okay, so we lie, and then we get to the point where, where we're deceiving ourselves. We're allowing ourselves to be, for lack of a better term, hoodwinked. And then the third one is that we eventually get to the place where we make God out to be a liar. We make him a liar. First John chapter uh, 1 and verse 10 says, um, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. I met a gentleman one time and uh, I was talking to him and we were talking about spiritual things and uh, I was talking about the struggle with sin and he said this, he said, I don't, I don't sin anymore. Really? You don't sin? He goes, nope, I don't sin anymore. And the, the theology of his church was that if you went along so far and did so many things that you would eventually reach a platitude of you are no longer sinful. Interesting. So what do you do with this? If we say we're in the light, but we're actually in the darkness, we lie. If we say we're in the, in the light, in the dark, in the light, and we're also in the darkness, we deceive ourselves. It's one thing to lie to yourself, it's another thing to deceive yourself. But when you reach the level of, we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, I don't know about you, that just scares the beans out of me, right? You really want to go there and think that's okay? That we make God a liar when his word says this and I do this? What, what are we doing? What are we doing? This illustrates the main idea that we need an advocate. If we struggle and we don't walk in the light, it is because we don't like, we don't want the light in our lives to expose our sin. Isn't that what light does? You walk into a dark room, what do you do? You flip the light on so you can see. That is important. The truth is that if we're honest, sometimes we like the darkness more than we do the light. 
I'm not going to take the time, but, but John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, walks all the way through that and ends up saying this in verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light. And because why? Their deeds are evil. So that's the bad news. We're just going to leave it there and hopefully you guys figure it out, right? Anybody want to hear the good news? Amen. The good news is we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate that can help us grow and change and be more like Jesus. When you hold our sinfulness up against the pure light of God's holiness, it's easy to see why we need somebody to come alongside us, to plead our case. Someone who is an advocate, someone who is righteous, to plead our case for us. Jesus is qualified to be that advocate because he is righteous. In addition to being our advocate, he is also our substitute. Look at 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. As I mentioned earlier, that that we use this terminology at our church. We say, God is holy. I am sinful. Jesus saves, and he is mine by choice and by faith. He is mine. He is my advocate. He is the propitiation, the final payment. We were down in Sunday school this morning, or ABF, and Pastor Dan was speaking. And he said, what's the significance of in John's gospel when he says that Jesus says, it is finished. What's the ramifications of that? You consider that for a little bit and your head will explode. Here's, here's a homework assignment for you. I don't have time, again, don't have time to develop this. Hebrews chapter 10. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 and read that chapter. And understand why the high priest does what he does. Okay? I may even talk about that a little bit as I, as I go on, but. Okay, here's the deal. In, in the temple, in the tabernacle, there are no chairs. Everybody nod like this. There are no chairs. The only thing that is a seat is the judgment seat of God. And it's not even a chair. It's not a seat. It's more like a, a chest with, with the, the angels over the top of it, right? Y'all, we all together on the same page on that? Okay? So, what did the priest never get to do? Sit down. Because he was always busy, always offering sacrifices, always ministering before the Lord. When Jesus completed the sacrifice, and it is finished, the scripture says that he sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because he was finished. It was done. The work was accomplished. There was nothing more to add. <clears throat> I don't know. 
It just, that just fires me up. It just makes me so excited. How cool is that? Go, go read Hebrews chapter 10. In fact, don't stop there. Read the whole thing. Hebrews is such an incredible book. All right, I digress. Number two, we need an advocate because we are weak and we need extra strength to keep going. John has a lot to say about persevering in the Christian life. Not, not about quitting. All the following, I'm going to read, read this portion of scripture. I'm going to read, uh, 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And what I want you to see as I read through this is all the following verbs are in the present active voice. Okay? You guys did not realize when you came in this morning, you were going to get a, a grammar lesson in English. There you go. You just never know what you're going to get. Okay? So listen to 1 John 2, 3 through 6, and look for those action verbs, the, the present active tense. By this we know that we have come to know him and keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. We ought to be striving to be more like Jesus. John uses the word abide to describe the believer's life. He uses that word 28 times in the Gospels and in uh, his first and second epistles. The word abide carries the meaning of remaining, to stay, to dwell, to live, to last, to endure, to continue. It's just an incredible, incredible thought. Again, I'm going to, I'm going to mention Hebrews again, but Hebrews 4, 6, uh, 14 to 16 says this, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in everything that we, as we are. Yet, without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help in time of need. We're, we're working, we're battling in this Christian life. And do you realize that Hebrews tells us that that main wall of partition has been torn down and that the throne room of God is open to us and that we can at any time run into that throne room and crawl up in the Father's lap and say, Abba, Father. Do you know what that's literally translated as? Daddy, Daddy. Which one of us, as a parent, hasn't had that, that opportunity to have a child run up 
and holler, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, Mommy. The throne of grace is open that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. This passage helps us to understand that Jesus is our high priest. And I mentioned that a little bit. I talked about it a little bit, and I'm out of time. So I'm going to go ahead and move on. But go back and read Hebrews chapter 10, all of that in there. That's awesome. We need an advocate because we are constantly being accused. In Revelation 12.10, John writes that Satan is pictured here as the accuser of the brethren. Like a ruthless prosecuting attorney, the devil or Satan brings accusations against us before our God day and night. 1 Peter 5 8 says, our adversary like a devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That idea of devour is literally to be swallowed up. Satan would love nothing more than to put us away in prison like he is himself. To ruin us so that we don't lose our salvation, but we're completely, utterly useless. Satan would and could win every case hands down. However, we have an advocate. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our advocate. So, as we've walked through this, as we've talked about this, the thought that we were thinking, thinking through today, the meaning and importance of an advocate, period, the theology of an advocate, and the practicality of our advocate. So let me ask you this. We're going to kind of draw this to a conclusion here. We're going to land the plane, if you will. But how do we respond to the light that God shines upon us? How do we respond to the life of Christ? How do we respond to the truth of Scripture? One of the primary characteristics of a New Testament believer is that they repent, they confess, and they change. And so once again today, our big idea, because Jesus is our advocate, it ought to drive us to our knees in worship of him. So let me close with a couple of questions. How have you done this past week? Would you say you had a good week? You didn't have to struggle with sin. You were able to get get through pretty easily. Things went pretty well. Or did you fall on your face? Could you use an advocate? Someone to plead your case? Do you think that your sin is so big that there is no hope? You say, you know, Steve, I just, everywhere I turn, I'm just constantly finding myself in sin and I just make bad decisions and I just keep doing, you know, I keep, I'm going to be better, but I just, do you feel like you have no hope? 
Not according to this passage. Praise God. Jesus is our advocate. He is righteous. He is the propitiation. He paid the penalty for our sin. And whether Satan likes it or not, we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What an incredible privilege that we have.